have to tell you up front how hard it was for me to use only selected verses. When I taught preaching at the seminary and a student would say, I'm only going to use some of the verses, I would usually ask a question along the lines of, what in the world are you thinking? Now, there was no waterboarding involved or anything like that. There was no torture, but it, it's problematic. It's not a cardinal sin, but there is so much damage that has been done in the history of the church, cutting and pasting from the Bible. I don't know if you had a Ouija board when you were a kid, but I did. And you could push that thing around and make it say whatever you wanted. And people do that with the Bible. They cut and they paste. And as a result, well, people get pushed to the margins and wars get justified and all kinds of damage is done. In my defense, it's long, so there's that. That's a good reason, I suppose. But more than that, it's still balanced. Scholars who study this passage say that when people, in particular this psalm, take it and start selecting verses, they tend to leave out the hard stuff and leave in only the good stuff. I did not make that mistake. But I think the other reason I liked in this week cutting and pasting is because I think in some ways that's how life can feel. Like we are just barely held together, cut and paste that life's kind of like a collage and maybe even pieces have gone into the shredder or are lying on the floor. If you read this psalm, selected verses or the whole thing, it almost feels like two entirely different pieces. In fact, scholars have debated, was this two psalms that somehow got connected? In the first half, all is right with the world. The psalmist praises God, speaks to the congregation about God, but in the second half, the address is now toward God, and it is a cry of distress and lament. That's the other reason I chose the Jewish translation, because our translation says, I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But the Jewish one says, what if I had not? There's this little bit of doubt there. Walter Brueggemann, who's a Bible scholar, says, you know, in some ways, the two pieces of this psalm are very much like the rhythms of our lives, praise and lament. You don't need a Bible scholar to tell you that. Everybody knows that life has its incredible highs and incredible lows. A grandchild is born healthy. Everything's right with the world. The job you wanted, it's come open. You've got the promotion. And then the very next thing. The rumors of layoffs are real and the job market is tight. Or death. Friday, a good friend of mine from seminary, whom I taught with as well, his wife passed away from a battle of cancer just weeks before they were to celebrate their 60th birthdays. And sometimes it happens so quickly, the one set next to the other. Back in the fall, on a beautiful late Friday of September, we hosted the second annual Max DeWeese Golf Tournament. It was a beautiful day. We had a good turnout. We raised a lot of money for Veterans Affairs. We honored Max. Afterwards, we sat around having a beer, and I got to play with my son, who was on our team. It was a great day. And the very next day, working on my deck, boom, my back gave out. And I was laid up for weeks, crying out in pain. 
It happens just that fast sometimes. And almost equally as bad as the suffering can be the theology that people try to share with you. And there is a lot of bad theology to go around. It's like they store it up, waiting for life to crash in, and then they just hand it to you. A friend of mine who teaches on the Divinity School at SMU said she was in a bookstore one time, and she ran into an acquaintance, and the woman was carrying multiple volumes of the same book. So my friend kind of looked, and maybe you remember this one, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, subtitled, and it's all small stuff. And this woman went on to explain, oh, I just love this book. I give it to people at all kinds of stages of life, markers of this and that. And my friend said, you mean like when they get cancer? And that pretty much was the end of the conversation. But she was right to press. It's not all small stuff. Whoever dreamed that up? That's why I was so appreciative for that memoir that Kate Bowler wrote. I think The Well has it, maybe still does. I know that several of you read it. And again, you have to pay attention to the subtitle. The title is, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Kate Bowler is an academic. She studies religion. And she was studying, academically studying, all of these prosperity gospel preachers on TV and the AM radio that claim, you're supposed to have nothing but flourishing in your life, nothing but good. And if you're sick, well, it's probably God punishing you. She was studying that to debunk it, and then she got cancer. And, of course, all of the bad theology surfaced. We should be crystal clear on two things. God does not send disease and plague and punishment upon us. But God is with us in that suffering, helping us along the way. Walter Brueggemann, we may not need him to tell us, yeah, life has highs and lows, but he goes on to say that there's actually three types of psalms. There's psalms of what he calls orientation. Those are the psalms of praise, like number 150 that Elizabeth read earlier. Praise the Lord. Everything's good in, in life and everywhere. Praise God. But the second type, is disorientation, psalms of lament, crying out to God in pain and in suffering. But Brueggemann says there is a third type. He calls it reorientation. It's not an achievement. It's a gift from God where in the midst of suffering, you come to a new perspective on the world and you push through with God's help and Things are different on the other side. It's a reorientation. I don't know how many of you have been streaming The Crown on Netflix. I see hands and smiles and all of that. Well, season three is out, and maybe you've already binged watched all of them. I can tell you this. What I'm going to tell you is not a spoiler alert because it's not exactly a murder mystery, right? The Crown. It's the story, if you don't know of Queen Elizabeth II and her husband, Prince Philip. And this particular episode is called Moon Dust. Prince Philip is obsessed with the Apollo 11 
mission to the moon. He's obsessed. He stays up all hours of the night watching BBC, the coverage of the launch, everything about it. He is obsessed. Now, part of it's because he's a pilot, and there's that, but he's just, he's just intrigued with it. Now, at the same time, the other plot running alongside it is he is having a spiritual crisis. Probably brought on by the death of his mother, but it has led to so many other things. He's become short-tempered. He lashes out at everyone. And at the same time, he meets the new minister. This priest and his colleagues have gathered on a retreat, and they're burned out. But instead of welcoming them, he chides them. It's, it's just where he is in life at the moment. He, he says, why can't you be men of action? Why are you moping around? Be like those astronauts. And as you watch these two plots unfold, they go to the moon, great achievement, but, you know, it's just dust, right? It's just dust. And in some ways, you get this feeling that that represents the way he feels about his life. Yeah, there's achievement, but what is it? And there's that great scene of the planet Earth rising up over the moon. Near the end of the episode, he goes back to that priest and his colleagues and this is not easy for him to do. And he says, I've lost my faith. And I've come to ask for your help. Help me. And that is the place of reorientation. That is the place. This week, I was trying to track down a talk on YouTube by a rabbi. It's not a TED talk. It's a kind of Jewish version of it, though, called Eli Talks. And this one rabbi, B'nai Lap, she's a rabbi in Chicago, and she ministers primarily to LGBTQ Jews who, like Christians of same-sex orientation, suffer all kinds of things within their religious family and so forth. And so she ministers to them, and in this particular talk, she talks about what she calls crash theory. And it fits really well with what Brueggemann says about the three types. So it uh, starts with a master story, and, and the example she uses, one of the examples is you enter into a loving relationship. Boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, whatever it is, and your partner cheats on you. Crash. Most people, she says, when they come to the crash, they pick one of two options. They either just pretend it never happened and cling naively to the master story, or they confront it and say, I will never again embrace the master story. No more romantic relationships for me. I am done with it. But the rabbi says there is a third option. And it is to acknowledge what has happened and to push through to what we would call that third place, that place of reorientation. There's one other image in this psalm. Actually, it's not really in the psalm as much as I kind of think of it as underneath the psalm. The psalms were for Israel a, a kind of combination of prayer book and hymnal. Now, they didn't have bound copies like we hold, but they did sing and pray these in worship. I used to tell my classes in seminary, your church should have one hymnal for every two persons. You should have to share. You should have to hold it. Because you've entered into relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because you know this. In times of suffering, the community of God 
can be of such help. When I was down on my back, that was not the darkest time of my life. I'm pretty sure the darkest time was when one of our kids, as a teenager, senior in high school, went spiraling down into depression. A kind of under the covers, head pulled, the blanket pulled over the head. I'm not going to school. I am not going to see a doctor. I am not taking medicine. Leave me alone. And our family spiraled down into that hole, all of us. And I tell you, there were days, weeks, months, I could not see any light up above. But the community of God sustained me. My good friend Lynn in Iowa would call regularly, how you doing? There was a worship service at the seminary. I'm pretty sure it was during Lent. I don't think it was Holy Week, where after it was over, my good friend David May just sat there while I cried uncontrollably. My classes knew something was going on. I didn't tell them what. And most days I was okay, but I usually started class with a brief time of worship. I would read a psalm maybe, sing, we would sing a song, and then we would do a responsive reading, you know, like we do in here. Somebody reads, you respond. And that day I was reading and they were to respond and the words would not come out. I just simply choked up and I couldn't get the words out. And so they read their part and then they read my part. <laughs> and I just cried, waiting for the third place to come. I don't know where you are, orientation, disorder, I don't know where you are. But I know who is with you. 